0: What is going on, everyone, and welcome to episode 129 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and I am coming to you this week from my in-law's house in Maryland, so a little bit of a different recording location. I'm actually sitting at this little desk that they have that I think is meant for my son, in this carpeted room that I think works best for recording. So a little bit of an awkward setup, but we're going to get our way through it without any problems, I hope. I I brought the family down here ahead of Saturday's game against the Capitol so that I could spend a little quality time with them and my wife's family and celebrate, actually, my sister-in-law, who is turning 30 this week. So big birthday for her, and we were able to take advantage of this trip. It's always nice, always a treat when the family can tag along for a road trip. There's a couple of those throughout the year that we try to do that for, and D.C. is always one of them because my wife is from Maryland, so it works out well, and now we get a few extra nights together. So that has been nice. Looking forward to the next couple days. Meanwhile, the New York Rangers have a few days to sort of regroup. I think they can use a little downtime themselves right now after playing 10 games in a span of 18 days, which culminated on Tuesday night in Ottawa with what amounted to what's been a very rare down game for this team. They lost that one 6-2. to two. I don't think too much positive came out of that game. We're going to have Steve Valliquette as this week's guest, of course, the former NHL goalie, former Rangers goalie, and now one of the best analysts, in my opinion, on TV for MSG Network. So we'll dive into a lot of the specifics in terms of areas that they can clean up once we have that chat with Valley later on in the show. But I would say, just to start us off here, that Tuesday certainly ranks as one of only a couple of what I would call dud performances for the Rangers so far this season. Really, the only other one that comes to mind was that Nashville game back at the beginning of the season. I believe it was the fourth game of the year. Became kind of a rallying cry for the Rangers. They were really disappointed with the way that they played in that game, and then from there, they went and rattled off, I believe it was like an 11-straight-game point streak, 10-0-1 in that span, if memory recalls. So, obviously, they rebounded well from that. They rebounded well from... All of the losses that they've had this season, all six of them, only five of them coming in regulation, they have yet to lose two consecutive games this season, and they're going to try to keep that streak alive Saturday when they play the Caps. So certainly no need to sound the alarm bells here. I don't think that any of us should be getting too worked up over one off night. This team had still won three straight prior to that. Still, as I mentioned, only five regular regulation losses in 24 games played. That's an outstanding percentage. Their 18 wins remain the highest total in the NHL. So it's been an overwhelmingly positive start to the season. But with all that being said, we also know that this team has very high aspirations. And if they're going to achieve their goal, of ending the franchise's 30-year Stanley Cup drought this season, which is ultimately what we know they're aiming for, then they need to constantly be striving for more. And my sense around this team all season has been that is exactly what they're trying to do. Peter LaViolette, as we've talked about before, has been consistent and detailed, and I think turning over every rock to make sure that this team is prepared for every situation. And I think the players have really bought into that. You could talk about all the reasons for it, whether it's two years ago when they go on that run to the Eastern Conference Final and get a taste of success, or last season when they get bounced in the first round by the Devils and have that bitter disappointment that we know stuck with a lot of these guys throughout the offseason. There are a lot of motivating factors here. They feel like they have a championship-caliber team, and they want to do everything that they can to get there, so with that in mind, there are areas within their game that can be tightened up, and I think recently have come to light more so as areas that they need to focus on. The interesting thing to me is that earlier in the season, a lot of what we were talking about as far as where this team could get better was five-on-five offense. That was something that I feel like we talked about a few different times on this podcast. I know I wrote about a few different times. And to be fair, that's been much better lately if you look at the results. They, on Sunday, in that 6-5 to win over the San Jose Sharks, for the first time all season, scored five 5-on-5 goals in one game. And if you look at the sample size of their last 14 games, they've racked up 36 5-on-5 goals in that span. That's an average of about 2.6 5-on-5 goals per game, which is literally double what they were doing in the first 10 games of the season. The first 10 games of the season, they only scored 13 five-on-five goals. That's 1.3. So they went from an average of 1.3 per game in the first 10 to now they're averaging about 2.6 five-on-five goals per game in the last 14. So the results are getting better there. But where things have slipped is on the other end. Right out of the gate, we were raving about what we were seeing from the Rangers as far as their forecheck and the one, three, one trap that LaViolette implemented that seemed to be smothering teams in the neutral zone and just the generally really well-structured defense that we were seeing from this team. It felt like they didn't need to score as much as maybe they did in the past. It felt like they could maybe have slippage in other areas because the structure was there, the defense was there. We talked about the shot suppression, how they were allowing much fewer shots on goal than they had in previous seasons and how they were doing a better job of protecting key areas on the defensive side and all of these different things that it really seemed like there was an immediate impact once they started using this system that Peter Laviolette brought to New York. The result, if you look at their first 18 games, they were allowing a stingy 2.2 goals against per game. Excellent percentage there. Through those first 18 games, they only allowed a total of 40 goals, which again is 2.2 about per game. Then you look at these last six games where I feel like we've noticed some of these things not quite as tight as they had been earlier in the season. 40 goals allowed in those first 18 games. Now 25 goals allowed in their last six. That's a goals against average of 4.17. So they've almost doubled what they're allowing per game as far as goals in these last six games compared to those first 18. So clearly there are some areas here where things are slipping a bit. I want to get into some of those specifics. I definitely have a long list of questions for Valley once we have him on the show. Again, he's one of the best in my opinion as far as breaking this stuff down. So I'm curious to pick his brain about what he is seeing right now from this Rangers defense. But I can just tell you from watching the Ottawa game, LaViolette talked after it about not layering their defense very well, which is to say not enough four-check pressure, certainly not enough back-checking. It seemed like a lot of those situations where the Senators were off on the rush, they were getting numbers in transition, and the Rangers weren't getting back well enough to to defend that. Their defensive zone breakouts are another area that I know we talked about last year quite a bit. It was a glaring issue last year, and it looked so much better through the first month of this season. But now they seem to have reverted back to some of those bad habits, some of those turnover prone habits. And I thought it was an issue not just in Ottawa. I thought it was an issue against San Jose. I thought it was an issue that we've seen creep up a handful of times in, like I said, these last six games. It just seems like there's sort of this sloppy play getting out of their own end. It seems like a lot of passes are ending up getting deflected by the other team or off target or into dangerous areas and all of a sudden the possession flips right back in favor of the other team. Having those clean zone exits and then eventually clean zone entries into your own offensive zone, that's critical in terms of establishing possession for yourself and then generating scoring chances. And the Rangers were doing a solid job of that for most of the season, but it just hasn't been as clean in my eyes. I'm curious what Valley has to say about this, but in my eyes, it has not looked as clean in the last few games. And that was certainly one of the issues that I thought stood out in that Ottawa game. And then perhaps the biggest issue, and I think a few of the players talked about this after the game on Tuesday, is the transition defense. The Rangers rank highly in a lot of categories. I mentioned shots against. We've talked about face-offs. We've talked about block shots. We've talked about giveaways, although they were right at the top of the league. I believe they led the league in fewest giveaways at a certain point. Now they're starting to slip a little bit there. But a lot of categories the Rangers look really good in. One where they don't look great right now is odd man rushes against. They're coughing up pucks at inopportune times. Not only as we talked about on breakout tries through the defensive zone, but also in the neutral zone. And what that allows is the opponent to flip possession of the puck and then attack you with speed and numbers. And so if you look at the way that Ottawa scored, especially in that second period on Tuesday night where it felt like a track meet, I believe is what Laviolette called it, it seemed like there were constantly chances where Igor Shesterkin was just being put in these really difficult spots where it was two-on-one, three-on-two, three-on-one type of opportunities, and it felt like that's a lot of their goals where they came from once that game started to get out of hand for the Rangers. So the odd man rushes against, which was a point that the previous coach, Gerard Gallant, talked about continuously, is we need to stop turning the puck over in the neutral zone. We need to stop allowing these odd man rushes against. That was a glaring issue for the Rangers last year. That was a huge issue for them in that series against the Devils in the playoffs. And now it's starting to rear its head again. You're starting to see that again. There are these bad habits that the Rangers have had in the past that I think Laviolette has worked really hard to get rid of. And I think the players have bought in. And I think for the most part, if you look at the season in totality, they've done a good job of cutting some of this stuff out of their game. But I don't know if it's, A little bit of complacency starts slipping into your mindset once you look in the standings and you see that you have the best record in the league. I don't know if maybe you start feeling a little bit too good about yourself. It's hard to put your finger on exactly why. I did mention that they played 10 games in a span of 18 days, so some tired legs could work into this equation as well. But it just seems like they need to be very proactive about making sure that these Elements of their game that have been issues in the past don't creep back in because we know that they have these tendencies. So now it's a matter of guarding against these tendencies. And I think in the last few games, they haven't quite done as good of a job of that as they had in the previous few games. So that is my sort of big picture assessment of what we've seen, even though, again, they've largely won a lot of these games. But I think the loss in Ottawa could maybe be a bit of a turning point, could maybe be a bit of a wake-up call, and again, we'll pick Valley's brain about all this stuff once we get him on the show. The good news is I believe that most of this stuff is correctable, which was basically the message that we heard from Laviolette after that game on Tuesday. We've seen them defend well, and that should inspire some confidence that they can get back there. The ideal scenario for them is to tighten up the defense while continuing the improvements that we've seen with this five-on-five offense. And, of course, the power play, for the most part, continues to hum. I think getting back to the offensive side of things, one of the most glaring things to me is the way that they're scoring these goals. Of course, it starts with that panarin trocek Lafreniere line. That has been their only consistent offensive line all season. And those guys continue to generate in bunches. You look, go on Natural Stat Trick, which is probably my favorite site post-game as far as analyzing how individual lines performed. And what they do a good job of is they'll group it based on, you know, this line had X amount of time on ice, and in that X amount of time on ice, they generated this many shots and they allowed this many. They generated this many high-danger scoring chances, and they allowed this many. So it'll break it down for you in that regard. And you see consistently every game, the Panarin line is usually in double digits as far as the shots that they're generating, and usually outperforms the other team as far as scoring chances. Now, they give up quite a few, but that's a trade-off you're going to accept considering that your other lines aren't generating a ton of offense. So they've been really good all season and they continue to be really good as far as the offensive production is concerned. But you look at the areas where they've been scoring recently, and I think this is what's enabled other players to chip in. We've seen the fourth line chip in some timely goals recently because they have been really active at doing this. And that's getting into those high danger areas that we talk about all the time. If you look at that Sharks win on Sunday, I believe At least four, might have even been five of their six goals, came from the net front or the slot, those high-danger areas that we talk about all the time. It was funny in talking to Artemi Panarin after that game because he had a hat trick in that game, which, by the way, this guy as far as Hart Trophy candidates, interestingly enough, last week ESPN reached out because they were doing some kind of a poll about who would you vote for for these awards at the quarter point of the season. And when the Hart trophy conversation came up, I ended up diving a little bit deeper because obviously I am immersed in the Rangers and fully focused on the Rangers for most of the season. I'm aware of what other guys are doing around the league, but I'm not watching them obviously as closely as I am the Rangers. So to me, Panarin hands down, as I wrote in my quarter season report last week has been the team MVP for the Rangers. There's no argument about that, but where does he rank around the league as far as, MVP candidates from an NHL perspective. And I think to me, he's got to be top two on the ballot. I mean, you look at a couple defensemen who I think are racking up points and playing for teams that are doing quite well in Kale McCarr with Colorado and Quinn Hughes with Vancouver. I think right now, especially from talking to a few people about it, it sounds like there are some defensemen who would get... Heart Trophy consideration, and then you look at Nikita Kucherov from the Tampa Bay Lightning, who I believe leads the league in points right now. He's having an outstanding year when you look at forwards, but Panarin's right there in that conversation. This is a little bit of a side note, but to me, there's a long way to go, obviously, but but he's a guy that has really elevated his game, and when you're looking at the best teams in the league and which of those players from those teams should garner consideration, he's got to be either at the top of the list or right near the top of the list right now but what was funny with him after that hat trick in the win over the sharks is you look at two of those three goals that he scored they were right on the doorstep right pretty much inside of the crease a couple of rebound opportunities where you see Panarin actively trying to get to the net so i said to him after the game partially joking but you know part of it serious as well because clearly he was making a concerted effort to get to those areas i asked him about, hey, you know, what what's going on with you getting to the net front and scoring these goals in those spots? And he said, you know, I've only gone to the net twice in my life and it worked both times. So I guess I have to start listening to my coaches. Great with the one-liners, that guy, you guys know, we've talked about this before. He, he He's a riot. He's got a great sense of humor and just a really friendly, good disposition about himself. But look at what he's doing and Trocek was standing right next to him and talked about it after that game as well. If that guy is getting to the front of the net, then everybody else sees that and everybody else thinks, well, I got to get there as well. And I do think the Rangers have been doing a much better job of that recently as far as helping themselves generate five-on-five offense by getting those tips, getting those rebounds. A lot of screens. Look at that recently, too. They've been doing a good job, I think, of blocking opposing goalie's sight line, getting in their line of vision, and helping out even some of these long wrist shots from the point or the top of the circles that we've seen going for the Rangers recently. That is in large part because they're doing a good job of creating some havoc in front of the opposing goalies and helping themselves that way as well. So I do think that, that that's been something that they've been harping on, and now we're seeing the results on the ice, and I think that's the reason, or one of the reasons, that we're seeing this uptick in offense from this team recently. They're still on that top line trying to find the right mix with that Mika Zabanajad line. Zabanajad has an eight-game point streak, Going right now, but a lot of those points have been coming on the power play. It still feels like you want to see more. It's hard to say that for a guy that's having an eight game point streak right now, but it still feels like you want to see that line producing more offensive zone time, producing more dangerous looks. You look at that game against Ottawa, Zabanajad, his total time on ice, the Rangers only managed three shots on goal. So you want to see a little more from that line. They've mostly stuck. With Kreider and Zabanajad. They did have one game, the game in Nashville, where LaViolette over the weekend switched and actually put Panarin and Lafreniere for a couple periods with Zabanajad. And that did seem to provide a spark for the Rangers. We've talked about that on the podcast before. If you really want to get Zabanajad going, which obviously you do, how can you get that done? And we'd mentioned the possibility of, well, does it make sense? to put Panarin and Lafreniere with him since those have probably been their two most productive wingers at 5-on-5. They've certainly been their most productive wingers at 5-on-5, I should say. And I was curious if he was going to stick with that, but I I get it because those two guys have been so good with Trochek. Why do you want to mess with that right now? So I can kind of see both sides of the argument. He went back to Kreider with Zabanajad for that Sunday game against the Sharks, and the right winger that he decided to start using on that line for the last few games is Johnny Bradzinski, which is kind of the final thing I want to touch on here a little bit. They ended up getting split up for a lot of Ottawa game because Barclay Gaudreau comes out of the game after getting hit in the in the face with a puck. And so they only had 11 forwards and they had to kind of juggle things for the rest of the game. So you didn't get a really long look at that line against the Senators. Previously, though, Bradzinski had been playing pretty well. The, the two games prior over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday... He had four assists in those two games, and it felt like maybe he was starting to get some of that confidence going. We've talked about Bradzinski before as an interesting guy. I know the history is that this is a 30-year-old guy who's bounced around a lot and never really been able to stick in the NHL, so you don't want to put too many eggs in that basket. But I, I do also think that we get very focused on looking at Young guys, prospects as the only ones with upside and dismissing the possibility that maybe a guy later on in his career can start to get better, can find new ways to be effective, can figure things out. And we saw that if you look at Chris Kreider, this is a guy who is generally scoring 20-something goals a year all through his 20s. And then all of a sudden he turns 30 and now he's a guy who's a threat to score 50 every year. So. There are guys who figure things out later in their career, and Bradzinski could be one of those guys, in my opinion at least, because he has dominated the AHL level the last couple of years, especially this season. He, while playing fewer games than most of the competition, was leading the league in scoring at the time that he was recalled. I guess it's about almost two weeks ago now. But this is a guy who had been easily the best player from Hartford from everybody that I spoke to and had clearly earned a look in this Rangers lineup. And and give credit to LaViolette here because LaViolette said, just because you call up a guy, I think the assumption a lot of the times is that's going to be your 13th forward or that's going to be your 12th forward. He's going to play on the fourth line if he plays at all. But LaViolette said, you know what? This is a guy who has been succeeding and has earned this. And I want to put him in the best position to be successful. And you could make an argument that there's more upside with a guy like Brodzinski playing on the top line than there is with maybe some of the other fourth line guys that you might consider moving up in the lineup. So I'm curious to see how long he sticks with that. Brodzinski is a guy who's worked tremendously hard. You've heard him on the podcast before. He's a guy who just stays committed, does things the right way, really well respected in the organization, the kind of guy that you want to pull for. I'm not saying he's the long term solution there. I did go on the Blue Shirts Breakaway podcast the other day, and Greg, one of the co-hosts there, brought up this comparison, which I think actually fits in some ways, although they shoot from different sides. But Bradzinski has a similar skill set to a guy that the Rangers acquired at the trade deadline a couple years ago in Frank Vetrano, who was very effective in that top-line spot with Kreider and Zabanajad. Why was he so effective? Number one. He pushed the pace with speed. He was a north-south, up-and-down kind of player, which Brodzinski very much is. And number two, this is a guy who shoots the puck. The Rangers have had issues with the too-many-damn-passes thing that we've talked about before. They've been a team that tends to overpass and try to outskill their opponents too often instead of just taking the shot and being more aggressive in that way. Well, Vetrano helped them out in that Situation and Brodzinski is very much a shoot first player. You, you see this guy hunt for his shooting opportunities, and we saw him do it very effectively in the AHL. And now I think the Rangers want to see if he can do it in the NHL. Now, obviously, we're talking about different levels of accomplishment, different levels of being established between the two players. Vitrano's shot, I, I think most would tell you, is a very high quality shot. Brodzinski hasn't done enough to prove that he's at that level at this point. But I think there are similarities within the game. Sim- they both play really hard, kind of similar builds. I think if you look at their measurables, it's it's not too different. Speed, shooting aggressively. Now, the difference is one guy has done it in the NHL consistently. The other one hasn't. So Brodzinski still has to prove that he can do that. But I can see why maybe when the Rangers are drawing things up internally, they could look and say, you know what? This guy could be a fit here because he's going to bring some of the elements that have been effective with Kreider and Zabanajad in the past. So we'll see how that's going to shake out. The reality for the Rangers is right now they don't have a ton of great options there. Blake Wheeler has not been very effective in that spot, and now they've moved him down to the third line, which is, I think, probably a better spot for him when we're talking about the, the big picture plans for this team. But really, there aren't any other great options there. Maybe the only other guy I could see getting a look there at some point, if Brodzinski doesn't work out, is Jimmy Vesey. On the injury front, not really a ton of updates for you there. Don't Doesn't look like anybody is super close to returning right now. Obviously, Kako, I think we're not even talking about him returning potentially until the second half of the season. So we'll get through the holidays before we really try to hone in too much on what his timeline looks like. Philip Hedl, kind of status quo with him. Still not practicing with the team, but has still been skating on his own. I've seen him around the facility a couple times. Now, the Rangers are scheduled to practice Thursday and Friday, so it wouldn't completely shock me if maybe we see Heedle out for at least one of those practices in the red non-contact jersey. LaViolette has said there have been no setbacks, and he's continuing to progress, so you hope that he's getting close to that point because that is the next hurdle for him is getting out there in a real practice with the team as opposed to skating on his own. But we've talked about the delicacy of the concussions and and the head injuries and how the Rangers really need to be careful with this guy coming back, which is obviously what they've been doing. So I don't have any firm predictions for you on when he will be ready. I certainly don't expect to see him play in either of the games coming up this weekend, but it would – Very much be a good sign if you were able to see him get back on the practice ice. And then the final injury thing we'll touch on here is Barclay Goudreau. Looked like he definitely lost some teeth. That did not look like it was very fun for him. Took a puck to the face from his own teammate, Keandre Miller. Kind of lifted a puck near the middle of the ice and it hit Goudreau. It looked like pretty directly in the face. Fell to the ice and quickly with teeth and blood and all kinds of stuff coming out. Raced to the locker room and did not return, but... I wouldn't expect him to miss much time. This is a very tough player, and I think once he gets that whole dental situation sorted out, he probably will be good to go for Saturday's game. So that's where we stand as far as the injury stuff goes. All right. With that, I think we've hit on a lot of different topics. I think there are a lot of other topics I want to hit on with Steve Valiquette. So I want to get to that interview now, and here's how this is going to work. I mentioned that I'm in Maryland with the in-laws – I am also working on, during this off day, a written mailbag. I usually try to do one of those once every month or two, but I realized the other day I hadn't done one yet this season, so since the team is off today, I thought this would be an ideal time to do that. I see we've had a ton of questions come in, so I am going to save your questions this week for the written mailbag, which you can find Thursday morning at loha.com slash sports slash rangers. And I'll be able to get to more of your questions than we typically do on the podcast. So thanks to everybody for submitting those, but I'm not gonna repeat myself, essentially. I'm, I'm gonna leave that for the written story and I won't do them on the podcast this week. Instead, what we're gonna do is just end with this interview with Valley, which I think we haven't recorded it yet, but he sounded like he was itching to talk about a bunch of stuff. So I have a feeling that one could go pretty long. I will definitely be back on Saturday, have you guys fully covered for both games over the weekend, and we're going to end the podcast after the interview with Valley. But first, got to get to that interview. So let's do that right now. Now let's welcome back into the show one of our favorite guests, in my opinion, one of the best analysts on television for the MSG Network, also does some great work with ClearSight Analytics, played goalie in the league for several years, and that, of course, would be Steve Valliquet. Steve, how you doing? We got a couple days now in between games to catch our breath here, so I I hope you're enjoying everything so far and doing well. Yeah,
1: geez, so far I've just been uh, sitting at my desk doing research all morning, but uh, I hear you. It's going to be nice to get... Some skiing days in here before Saturday.
0: Yeah, and and I want to pick your brain about some of that research, and I'm curious about some of your thoughts here. You know, I want to talk about some big picture stuff with you, but we can just start with the immediate stuff. Tuesday night, Rangers obviously put together a performance. I'm sure they they weren't thrilled about one of the few down performances, really, that they've had all season. The six to two loss to the Senators. Now we're talking about a team that in 24 games played only has five regulation losses, most wins in the league. You know, we, we know how good they've been to start this season, but just looking at last night, looking at that loss to the senators, I mean, anything jump out to you or does it feel like one? You just kind of throw away.
1: Well, I'm seeing it through two different lenses right now. Part of the game. um, I'm not happy about all of the high danger chances that they're giving up off the rush. And, then I'm also looking at the schedule, and I've seen how they've crisscrossed ac- across the country and playing three games and four nights and all these things, and it all adds up, and it's difficult to, to defend when you're tired. It's it's the hardest thing to do because you cheat for offense, and players are going to cheat for offense. They want to get up ice and get grade A scoring chances and get looks. You know, the thing about it is, though, for me, is that. I'm looking at this team as a Stanley Cup contender and what does it take to win rather than uh, are we okay about just getting into the playoffs the first thing I looked at and this is a few days ago was the last 10 Stanley Cup winners and and what do they have in common and then you narrow it down because hockey's changed over 10 years and you bring it down to 5 years and even looking you know I've got a sheet in front of me here where I printed off all of the different logos of the teams uh, that have won since the lockout 0405 lockout And a lot of the logos are the same, right? Like there's three teams that won eight of nine cups from 09 to 2017. Like how does that happen over and over again in this league? You can go back to the 80s when the Oilers always won or the uh, New York Islanders always won. And then you get in the early 90s and Pittsburgh riles off a couple. And it's funny how it's not just, you don't win one Stanley Cup every 32 years with 32 teams. It's just not happening. It's almost like, somebody figures it out for a certain amount of time and then somebody else figures it out a different way. And what I've been talking a lot about recently is high danger scoring chances off the rush at five on five. And the reason why five on five is because you play 48 minutes typically at five on five every night. So we're looking for characteristics during the regular season that carry over to the playoffs why is it that every Stanley Cup winner for the last five years has been a top five team at defending off the rush? And why is off the rush so important? So now I get back into my goalie skates and Vince, it's one of the few times in a hockey game where you're skating backwards while trying to protect the net behind you and you, you lose it. And it's just the way it is. I mean, when you think about the goalies positioning, it's kind of bizarre to say, but you're protecting something that you can't see as a goalie. You just know where your net is. And what makes you feel insecure is when the puck moves laterally off the rush. So you're having a a game plan that comes towards you. You're learning how to skate backwards, your gap, your speed. You're learning that at the the moment because some guys change speed and you've got to gap yourself back up. East, West pass gets across. You're trying to track a pass. Sometimes there's traffic off the rush. So all these variables make playing off the rush, the most difficult part of the game, the most difficult sequence for the hockey goalie. That's just the way it is. So that's why when I look at, all right, who's really good at stopping the puck off the rush, it's like everybody's one out of three. There's not a really big divide between Igor Shisterkin and and everybody else. So if you know that, you can't give him four and five and six high-danger rush chances at five-on-five five every game. They're going to end up in your net. And the Rangers have allowed six of those in the last three games. They've allowed 12 high danger off the rush chances at five on five. Just going to happen. And um, I'm concerned that I'm concerned sometimes that the Rangers might not have the players that they need. Because what do you need? You need a player that wants to kill plays as badly as they want to create plays. And at the end of the day, the, the success of the team, it hinges on that deep will uh, who wants it the most. And, and do you know what I mean? Can you actually dig in and defend with the same, with the same guts that you do when you go on offense? And I think that, you know, I'm looking at them and I'm like, do they have a, an alpha dog out there that's willing to put his stick in his back pocket and not make the backhand pass from the perimeter and the slot off the rush. So it goes the other way and that's where they get hurt. You know, I looked at all of these scoring chances this morning and it's, it's kind of hard to nail down exactly why every time it happens, it's, it's always uh, a variety of ways, but there's certainly some where they can help themselves. If they just had some restrictions on their game, like if I'm on my backhand side on the perimeter coming in over the offensive blue line, not to dish it to the slot where it's going to be, uh, high danger chance going against you.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because I wanted to ask you what you're seeing that you think is leading to the increase in high danger scoring chances off the rush. Because I think just from watching the games, it's been obvious. I, th- this is these are you know just kind of general stats, but I, I looked this up last night. The Rangers through their first 18 games only allowed 40 goals at five on five. That that's an average of. goals against per game uh, in total. I'm sorry. That's not five on five. That's first 18 games. They allowed 40 goals. That's 2.2 goals against per game in the last six games. They've allowed 25 goals. That's over four goals per game. So obviously they're allowing more goals in these last six games. Now early in the season, we talked a lot about defensively how tight and structured they seem to be in this Laviolette system and how they seem to be forechecking better. How they mm-hmm. seem to be you know more effective in the neutral zone with that one three one that they run and kind of clogging things up there. And then when they were in the D zone, they seemed to have fewer holes. They seemed to be more structured. So we've seen them do that for the first month or so of the season. Do you think that part of it could be... They're high up in the standings, they've been playing really well, they're playing a grueling schedule, maybe a little complacency sets in, or do you think that there are more you know, things that need to be corrected from a structural or a system standpoint?
1: Yeah, Like so here's the first thing I'll, I'll cover is that I went over the six that I was just referring to, and the first one was just go to Nashville. O'Reilly goal, bad luck. There was uh, bad luck in the neutral zone, goes off the referee, bad luck tracking back. I thought they just had a lot of bad luck on that play. Uh, The next one is Duclair's goal. He got lost behind coverage. Uh, Zetterlin was a hope pass from Mika in the offensive zone. Bad one. Um, uh, How do I say this guy's name? Babaranov? Babaranov. Can't even say his name. He hit the trailer. The trailer was hit on that one. It was a tap in. um, But it was three San Jose players against four Rangers. It was a low danger uh, rush play that the Rangers were absorbing and it turned into a high danger because they lost coverage. So that was a complete loss coverage, not being able to get your guys coming back in the zone. Tarasenko last night scores high glove, top corner, off of a turnover, two-on-one, uh, and also Batherson's two-on-one goals off of a turnover. Um, one goal every three and a half as a tandem is quick and Shosturkin. So no matter – and they've been good. Like, let's be honest. Overall, as a tandem, that's as good as, it, as it's going to get in the league. So let's just say that you have arguably one of the top tandems. They're still giving up one every three and a half of these. Point is, you just can't give them up. Mm -hmm. You've know, you got to find ways to find yourself on the right side of the puck. And to me now, it's almost like saying maybe the best coach in the NHL is the guy that can get his star players to buy in, to to not allowing these chances. And they have to know and be risk-adverse a little bit more. Uh, The Rangers right now, and this has all started since – November the twelfth against Columbus. That's when the Rangers were number two in this stat in the first. So from October 10 to the to November 10, they were one of the best teams in the league. They were number two. How do you go from that to being 32nd from November 12th to now? I don't Mm. know, like 32nd worst, Mm. and they're just giving up the most. And now their goalies are – watch how the save percentages of the Ranger goalies are going to keep coming down if this play continues. It's just the way it is. The game just shakes out that way. And I could go over – here's the best example, I think, because when you look at who's won and how they've won, they've always learned. They've always learned from the previous year. So Vegas wins last year. The year before last year, they were 20th in high-danger chances at 5-on-5 off the rush. Last year, when they won the Stanley Cup, 4. Previous year, Colorado wins the Stanley Cup. They were 12th the year before they won the Cup. They went all the way up to 2nd. So they learned how to defend. Because it's almost like players want to play their way until it doesn't work, and then they buy in. Um, Tampa Bay is probably the best example. The, the, the first year that they won, they went from 27th the year before when they were upset against Columbus to fourth. And the year before that when St. Louis won, 20th to fifth. I mean, that's all I need to know right now about, and this is what I'm doing every day. I'm into the research about what it takes to win a cup because that's where we are right now with the Ranger team. When I first started working with the Rangers, uh, they went to the Eastern Conference Final and lost against Tampa Bay. And I was convinced at that time they just didn't have the offense to do it. What I found out at that time, which I was relaying through the job, was they had 252 clear-sighted shots during their first rounds against Pittsburgh, uh, against Washington, and Tampa Bay. And they only scored two goals. So I'm saying to myself, well, once this team learns how to really create offense and get screens and understand how to deflect pox in front and create secondary opportunities, oh, they'll be fine. You know, here we are all these years later after a rebuild and – we've spent our last 10 years going through prospects and talking about all this stuff. And then, and look where it shakes out. You know, how many, how many of those draft picks are really impact players right now? Couple, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and now you're here and you're saying, okay, well, it's time to win. Um, are we able to do it with the people that we have with the way we know we have to play? And and again, I think it's most evident off the rush. You've got to be better off the rush. So right now the Rangers and, uh, since that November the twelfth game, they're now number one off the rush in offense. But before that, they were twenty eighth. So they've really just flipped it. Yeah, and, and I think that I mean I think that's personnel. I think the guys just want to score and they want to go out there and create, and they don't have the same buy-in from the group right now that they did in the first uh, half of this. You know, twenty where are we at? 23, 24 games.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because early in the season, the talking point, you know, talking to guys in the locker room and things like that was, hey, we got to be better at five on five offensively. That was Laviolette talked about wanting to attack more and push more. And early on, they weren't scoring really at all at five on five. I think it was 13 five on five goals through the first 10 games. That number has doubled I think in recent games it's been much much better the five on five offense but that's
1: we- why because they're doing it right exactly just, yeah yeah. That's a, yeah I mean yeah. they stop I, you know how it is I mean do you want to hear about it if you're a, if you're a forward and you're a goal scorer do you want to hear from everybody guys like me guys like you hearing it from people oh you guys are a good team but you don't score a five on five and the guys are like yeah that's because we're you know we're defending yeah you know and I think it's very difficult for teams to find the balance it's very difficult. And that's why it's so hard to win.
0: And that's probably why, you know, what plagued them in years past, I know what Gerard Gallant used to talk about all the time, were those risky passes coming through the neutral zone, the the type of risky plays that would lead to turnovers that would then fuel the team, the opposing team on the rush going the opposite way. Yeah. It seems like there's been an increase in that recently too, which speaks to your point. They're pushing for more offense, but maybe forgetting about some of the defensive principles that got them to this place in the standings where they are right now
1: right and and that's where they started the season that's why they got off to a great start and right now to me I don't like their game you know I, I just don't not 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 since not since November 12th that November 12th game against Columbus they gave up five high danger off the rush chances and they were all slot lines and quick was awesome in mm-hmm. that game and you keep getting away with it because your goalies are coming up big for a while but you can only get away with it for so long and there's going to be repercussions and I mean, no, I'm sorry. I just don't like the way they're playing right now, but I'm, I'm sure they feel the same way. But this is this is not just last night's game. This is for the last three weeks.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, La Violette after the game, was talking about their layering defensively. Could you maybe speak a little bit to fans about what he's talking about when he says that?
1: Yeah. So um, in D zones that I've been in, a lot of coaches talk about layering in the D zone first, which is uh, when puck goes in the corner, your first D man's in there, your centerman's on the next layer. And then you've got another layer of your second D there. So essentially, if you want to come out of the corner, you've got to be three people. That's why you never really see in a hockey game when you're in zone settled offense, you'll never see a forward just walk out of the corner and get straight to the net. He's got to go through three layers. The one thing that we saw last night uh, in Ottawa. Which was uh, layering in the neutral zone, which is what he wants as well. Is just let's just say that Panarin is coming in the offensive zone, and he's got Trocheck with him. As soon as the puck looks like it's, uh, it could be either Ottawa's or New York's. One of those guys has to get out, so that they have to go through somebody else. And then what that person does in layering is slows the attack enough that if it is Panarin deep guy, he can come back, track back, and then they have to go through him twice. So you're getting layers in the neutral zone that way. And uh, look, I looked at all the um, scoring chances off the rush last night that Ottawa had. There was no layering. And he's right. I mean, he knows he knows what he's want. What What he wants is he wants his team to be so hard to play against defensively. He wants them to be hard. He wants the stars to check. And I think that's the hardest thing to do in our game, getting the stars to check. Getting them to be bought in to defense as much as they are and to what they want to do is create offense. And I get it because they have to get points. You get paid by how many points you get. Mm
0: -hmm, You know? mm -hmm.
1: So there's such a double-edged sword there. Yeah. And it takes a little while, but guys like Mark Stone and Petrangelo, they get guys to buy in because they're alpha dogs, and they get them to buy in, and then they do, and they win. But they lost first. Mm Mm-hmm. No, they didn't win the. But now the Rangers are also in the window. How many more years can we go without winning before the window is over?
0: Yeah, you know, because even, they're right? young, but they also have some core guys that are now into their 30s, and and that clock is ticking. And I, you sense that from the guys. Like it, it, it strikes me when you talk about judging them as a Stanley Cup contender versus you know just a normal team, because that's I believe what what they are striving for in the room is it's not. It's not just about making the playoffs anymore. It's about are you good enough to win a cup, a- and that is. I think how we're going to judge them throughout this season. It, it's interesting to me hearing you talk too, thinking about, I hear from fans who, look ahead to what they might do at the trade deadline and you know salary cap wise they're going to be limited that's a conversation for another day but a lot of fans talk about well they need some skill they need a right winger who can play on the top line with Mika and Kreider and and that sort of thing but it almost sounds like you're saying you think they need a little more guys who are really going to gut check defensively and back check hard and and do those little gritty things defensively that help you win games
1: yes I think um, you learn why in the end that success comes from who truly wants it the most and and truly want the most I think you have to sacrifice a lot you have to sacrifice points gotta sacrifice points you've gotta look if Panarin, Trocek Lafreniere are on the ice for five danger four and five against do you like our chances I mean it's a coin flip game that Mm -hmm. way Mm -hmm. it is and um, some shifts those three guys that I think are highly skilled talented they could do it every night some shifts they have to be okay with nothing happening just get off the ice and you know, nothing happened that shift because there was nothing there for us presented for us to fast break, but we didn't give anything up the other way and Mm -hmm. we were good there. Mm -hmm. And I certainly want them to continue to create because they have to. It's very difficult. I think what players in the NHL feel right now too, it's very hard to score at five on five when it's our five against their five in zone and settled offense. It's very difficult. There's not a lot of goals to be had at five on five when you get in zone. That's that's a big part of our game that's been taken away because of coaching, positioning, good sticks. Everybody recognizes how to play net front. You know, like these next three games, you wait to see Washington's playing net front really well, LA's playing their net front really well. We're gonna see some games. Uh Toronto's playing better hockey. They haven't won a lot at regulation, but they've got a they've got a squad. These next three games are gonna tell us a lot. If the Rangers are playing like they did. These last three games, they're going to lose all three.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't
1: think they can play this way right now, and I'm sure that they're having the same talks internally.
0: You, you mentioned the Panarin line, and Panarin's starting to get some buzz as a heart Trophy candidate. I mean, to me, I, I'm sure you probably agree he he's been their best player this season. And you you look at that line when they're on the ice; it's been high event. I mean, they're by far generating most offense of any Rangers line right now. But you look at the numbers of what they're allowing against; those are pretty high as well. Like. How do you judge season Panarin's having and how do you judge that line as a whole? Because when the other lines aren't really getting it going offensively, I think they feel that pressure to produce and, and they've been really good at it. So are you willing to sacrifice a little bit there? Or it sounds like you're saying you'd like to see them tighten up even more.
1: I'd like to see them tighten up more. I think they have to check more to win a Stanley cup. They have to give up less Uh-huh. and yeah, they have to give up less. And I think, it's hard because you know, I see it in Trochek. He has a hard time reading off Panarin. Panarin's hard to read off when he comes back. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Panarin sometimes knows exactly what guy is most dangerous and who he should be going to. And he's trying to sort it out. Trocheck's looking at him and he's like, Not are you going or are you not going? And then there's indecision there. And hoping that and, and Lafreniere is still a young guy in in terms of D zone. That's not what he was drafted first overall for. But with those three guys getting more familiarity off to a terrific start, no doubt about it Been the best offensive line. They have to continue to still find themselves defensively because they have to have that identity. You've got to be able to shut down the opposition as badly as you're trying to create something that's going to be dangerous because dangerous scoring situations. I'm only seeing them a few ways now it's off of a giveaway or a takeaway. And then, The opponent is not set up in their structure yet. Off the rush, specifically an odd man rush, if it's an even man rush, you have to enter over the offensive blue line between the two dots. Then you can make everybody uh, force into a decision. Harder on the goalie. Power play. I mean, that's it. The in-zone offense is very hard to come by. I think the last team that really negated using the rush at all to win a Stanley Cup with St. Louis. They were they were pretty happy just getting in zone and just muscling it and wearing teams down. But we saw that for a while with LA uh, but you know that's you know 10 years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know the new NHL looks this way and um goals are up. Uh, save percentages are down. It's um it's a different league. I mean look at the swings. I was watching when I came home last night after the game put on the uh, Vancouver New Jersey game. Oh my God. Didn't even look like anybody was defending. Okay, <sighs> just going back and forth. New Jersey spits back a three-goal lead. It's tied. Like you've got 30 seconds left, and Vancouver doesn't check, and New Jersey gets an easy one on the back door. It's it's not like I do want the Ranger fans to know it's not just us. Like this is this is everybody.
0: Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. you know,
1: it's every night in the NHL. Every night. It's crazy. And it's not the way that uh I was raised in uh in the NHL as a fan, as a player. It was like it was always tight. And now the the restrictions on checking are so loose that you can do what you want in that front. Guys wouldn't stand there like that ten years ago, twenty years ago. Forget it. So it's different. You know, there's yeah. stick, tech, stick technology. The players have changed, skills, coaches, uh, the goalies that have left the league that used to be sixty game eaters. So you know, there's there's a reason why safe percentages is is that really an all time low come, since coming out of the lockout.
0: Well, on that note. The Rangers goalies now, obviously Igor, I think is kind of an easy scapegoat for that game in Ottawa because you see him give up five goals in, in the first two periods, but we've talked about the rush opportunities he was facing it quick came out like guns blazing this season. Now his last couple starts haven't quite been as good. I think not nearly the same level we saw earlier in the season, but the overall body of work from, from the goalies, it sounds like you're saying goalie play across the league is kind of averaged out a little bit. So, so what are you seeing in that regard? And then what are you seeing? More specifically, from the Rangers guys.
1: Well, I've done a lot of research on this, and and I think some of these names, you know, they just ring a bell for people. Um, last year, yeah, last year we had 119 goalies that played one game in the NHL. That was a record. But look at the goalies that have retired over the last, you know, five, seven years: Ryan Miller, Tuka Rask, Braden Holpe, Ben Bishop, Carey Price, Lundquist, of course, Crawford, Jimmy Howard, Dubnik, hudobin luongo Pecarine, like these guys were all stars and they were all true number ones mm-hmm. and they all played more than 200 games in the minor leagues before they played in the nhl or europe minor leagues or europe and then we also had um a big help from the 0405 lockout where a lot of really good goalies played an extra year in the minor leagues so that was always a factor too and when you look at like mark andre Fleury, uh, ryan miller cam ward mike smith brisgolov ray Emery. A lot of goalies played an extra year in the American league that don't get that anymore. And I think that's a big difference too. It's uh rushing guys in that aren't quite ready yet. Um, east to West passing. It's up 41% from five years ago. It's 41% more East to West passes than five years ago. Mm. That's a big difference. If you can't play East to West now, you can't play like that's just the way it is. So skating and movement become such factors. Um, there's, Look, I don't think it's going to change the way it's going because it's hard to play in the NHL right now. And I think that we're seeing an increase of broken play goals, too. That's another thing. That one really came to light to me yesterday where I was doing research on the playoffs again, and there was more broken play goals scored in the Stanley Cup playoffs last year than East to West goals. And over the four previous years, it was more East to West goals. Even though we always talk about playoff scoring is different, traffic, screens, you know, yeah, it's all there. But that was second fiddle over the previous four years to the low East to West and and jams and backdoor plays and stuff like that. But now that's, I think teams are learning how to create broken plays instead of shooting a a point shot with clear view at the goalie. They're aiming for what coaches call the shit pile on the side of the net. They just aim for the pile players looking Mm -hmm. for a ricochet broken Mm -hmm. play. So you know, there's different ways to create offense and uh, there's more and more time spent on different things you know coaching philosophy has changed and it's been supported by analytics and some new wrinkles to everybody's game plan and you see the way the teams are running the power play. You
0: so all, all that adds up to it being harder to play the position now.
1: I absolutely think it's 10 times harder than when I was, yeah, there was just, we had a lot more straight line. We had a lot more old school coaches that were shoot the puck, you know, I don't care. Get down the wing, blast it on net chaos. And, uh, you know, now a pass off pad is, you know, getting into the slot area and then passing off the pad Whereas in our day. It was from the perimeter. It was from the walls. It was from the points,
0: you know? You, you you know, speaking of coaching, one one last thing I kind of wanted to ask you about, uh, maybe end this on a little bit more of a positive note. Um, I was talking to Jonathan Quick the other day about why he feels like he's had somewhat of a revival You know, since he's been here. Obviously, it's early in the season still, and he, he didn't want to sing his own praises too much. But he, he brought up Benoit Allaire, who I know you've worked with, the longtime Rangers goalie coach been here for 20 years now. And even in working on the, the feature story that I did for Lundquist going into the Hall of Fame, everybody that I talked to brought up Benny and his influence. And I know you worked with him during your time in New York. So, I, you know, I think fans are always fascinated by this guy. He's such a nice guy, but he doesn't want the spotlight on him. So he he's not into doing interviews or anything like that. So it's kind of hard for fans to really, you know, pull back the curtain and get to know the guy a little bit. But I know you and I spoke about it a little bit when we talked about Hank. Your time with Benny and now seeing the success he's had with Igor, you know, quick coming here when it looked like his career was kind of on life support after having the worst season of his career last year and now putting up, you know, very solid numbers through his first couple months with the Rangers. Like, why do you think that it seems like everything that Ben Allaire touches turns to gold?
1: Yeah. So Benny, Benny really started his reputation started with Sean Burke and Sean was. At the time, I think on his way out of the NHL, based on his previous three or four years, he lands in Arizona where Benny's coaching there. And Benny got him to back up in his crease. Sean Burke had a lot of similarities, I think, to what I have, uh, athletically, uh, explosiveness wise, east to west. He was, he's a big goalie, but I wouldn't say that he was explosive fast side to side. Mm-hmm. So what Benny did was he bought him. He got him to buy in to backing up in his crease. And when he backed up, he was moving less distance. And it's a big thing for a goalie because you have to believe that you can still stop the shot while giving up more net. You get more time to track the puck off the release, but there's still an insecure feeling that there's more net for the shooters to shoot at. Benoit, when I got to Hartford, we had that 0405 lockout and Benny he was so unselfish because he stayed with us, Jason the barber, and I, for the entire lockout. And he didn't have to be there. He could have been doing anything else. And he stayed with us. He was on the ice with us for 30 minutes before every practice, 45 minutes after every practice. He did a lot of drills that helped us buy into backing up and still being confident that we could stop the open shot. Now, Alaire gave me 10 videotapes of, and at the time there were VHSs, of Sean Burke. And he said, big man. Follow what this guy did in Arizona, and you'll play in the NHL someday. I watched these videos. I I had one of the very first MacBook Pros, and I was taking Apple editing lessons for a final cut at the uh, West Farms Mall in Hartford. My roommate was teasing me all the time because I was spending all this time at the Genius Bar learning how to edit film. <laughs> what I was doing, though, was I was taking – I bought a video uh, converter that I was able to take a VHS, put it into and then get it into my laptop where then at final cut, I could edit video. And I was able to put together different pieces like, okay, Sean Burke on the penalty kill stands here. This is when he takes a look. This is how he explodes off the pass. I was then able to see where he plays off the rush. How far does he come out? When the puck carry gets into the slot on a two on one, where does he stand? I think any athlete can do this. If you have a good frame of reference, you can figure out how to find your game for yourself by getting some help from the guys that do it at the highest level. And I was able to do that. And uh, with Benny's support, just get him to work with me on it. And by the time we finished the season, the Barber and I had 11 shutouts and best goalie tandem in the league. But by and large, you know, Benny helped us just get going. And then the next year, uh, I was in Russia, but I came back the year after that to play in, uh, with the Rangers for four years. And uh, LaBarbera had a great NHL career, went on to play in LA. But I think that's like where the love of being uh, into what I do now started because I saw player development and I know it's possible and I know that we can develop these guys, but they need the time. But Benny, the genesis of Benny's greatness was built over time. And then when he got to New York, it was like, He'd already been through his minor leagues, and he was ready to rock and roll as soon as he got to New York. And he had just about every answer for every question you'd have as a goalie. You know, like, can I get away with standing here? And um, when does my first push begin? And there's a lot of intricacies to this game. Uh, We're we're very individual thinkers that way uh, within a team sport. And Benny knows how to blend it all together. He's got the best way of doing video. One of the the funniest things that I noticed with him, with me, was – when we started off, because I was making such a transformation from being out in the white ice just as quick as gone through, and then getting backed into the blue a little bit, was that he would only show me three or four clips after the first couple of games I played that year because those were the only clips that I did it right. <laughs> and, and and then it was, it was neat because as the season went on, the video sessions got a little bit longer because yeah. I was doing more correct by his standard. But he never shows you. He's very good about this. He doesn't show you your mistakes over and over again because he believes that you're going to repeat those mistakes. You're going to go back out on the ice and just do as you just saw. So if there is a bunch of a really good run of video and then something that he definitely does want to narrow down, he's not going to have 10 things in a video session. It's going to be like one or two. And if it is one, he'll show you doing it right. He'll show you doing it incorrectly. And then he'll sandwich it with you doing it correct again. So you, you can see the difference. And then at the end, you leave with the positive clip. And that's probably what Biron, what Hank, what we would all say if we were in a room together is that he's so positive and he's so good at getting the message through. And that's what it's like. Like we're talking earlier about the Rangers. All they need, the players. And now it's, it's think about how much more challenging it is for uh, Laviolette and his staff, right? There's 23 players that they got to get the buy in because you're getting guys up and down and everything like that. So whatever, 23, 25 that play Got one goalie coach for two goalies, you know, and we get so much more time. And that's why bigger philosophy. I think the NHL is missing the mark where we should really have like an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, more coaches like the NFL so that there could be more time in player development. That's what we don't. That's what we don't have. We don't have it.
0: That's That's an interesting point. That might that might be one we have to dive into a little bit deeper next time.
1: Yeah, it's, it, there's definitely room for that there. The best book I've read in the last four years was MVP Machine, and it's, uh, it's something you should pick up, and maybe the listeners would be interested in getting it. But MVP Machine is a great book about baseball, where they have guys like me, like a former retired player, that has the leeway to talk to the players and be able to talk to them about the steps they need to take in their game, take the information that is uh, very useful and helpful to help them stay in the league longer. It's all about that. I can get if I had to sit down with Kako right now, I would love to just talk to him. hey, this is all about you. This is all about you staying in the league longer. Here's what we're gonna do. He's only had four high danger scoring chances this year. He's only had four high danger passes that have led his teammates into high danger scoring opportunities. And like he, I think that Kako right now, he has a conflict with where offense comes from. He, he thinks he just needs to get shots. And uh, it's not about that. Those shots that he's taken from the outside before his injury, those are giveaways. And I just show him a run of those and then show him what the other guys are doing that are making the most from that same ice in the same sequence over and over again. It's, we have the information to do this. I just don't think we're there as a sport yet Mm. for whatever reason. We're just not there. Um, But MVP machine, it gives a really good, good baseline of what baseball does. And um, my son's, pitcher and um, he's he was with the la dodgers and he's talked to me a lot about this you know this is what we did and you know this is what happens in the major leagues and this is why you know it's all about the mvp is a really neat book because it's all about taking a, a guy like johnny Brzezinski and then imagine him two years from now being the mvp of the nhl like that's that's what's happened in baseball when you pay attention to the different storylines of the different players and their backgrounds
0: Sounds like you got to get on the phone with Jury about this.
1: Oh, well, maybe. <laughs> well, I know he listens to your podcast, so.
0: kind, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of doubt that, but. Uh, I'm Eddie. just teasing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't talk about that <laughs> stuff. <dude.
1: laughs>
0: All right, Valley. Well, listen, I really appreciate the time. This has been awesome. Love having you on. I'm sure we'll do it again sometime soon, and hopefully I'll see you around the rink as well. So thanks again for the time.
1: Hey, my t- uh, my time is your time, Vince. Thank you very much, buddy.